Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of Starting With a Song. I'm your host, Amanda Mazzo, and I am so glad you're joining us today. You know that moment when you meet someone and you just click? I met today's guest in early 2019, and I was instantly drawn to her big heart and her compassion for people who are struggling. She has a way with words, both spoken and written, that lead you to truths of how seen and loved you really are. I am so excited she's here, and I can't wait for you to meet her. Here's my conversation with my friend, Sarah Robinson. I don't cough or anything. Oh my gosh, I feel like... We're both getting over stuff, so it's just going to be like, <laughs> excuse us. I have cough drops. Oh, episode is brought to you by Ricola. <laughs> okay. Well, this is maybe out of context. Not to make light of the Enneagram, I did have this thought. So an Enneagram 4 and an Enneagram 3 wing 4 <laughs> walk into a podcast studio and uh, who knows what's going to happen. Things there will be get... feelings. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I'll start with just your feelings on music. <laughs> How do you feel about music, Sarah? Oh, I have a lot of feelings. You have I'm a lot an of Enneagram fe- 4. Yes, yes. I love um, it. I want to hear them all. Yeah. So when you emailed me about this, one of the things you asked was um, about like early memories of music. Mm -hmm. And I grew up in a super musical family. You're not originally from here. No, I'm from Oregon. Okay, from Oregon. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So my dad played the guitar and my mom and my dad both always sang. And we just had tons of music always playing growing up. And I grew up on stuff like um, Stevie Wonder and Otis Redding. And then like Um, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. So a lot of stuff from like the um, 60s in particular, but really, you know, just music that kind of spanned the decades. Um, My grandma was very much into music. So I'd watch musicals with her. Mm. And as a kid, what's your favorite? That's a hard question. I watched them too, which is why I'm asking. I would say one that was a favorite and is now one of my top favorites would be Fiddler on the Roof, which is not really like a cheerful kid, happy time. (laughs) You know, it's about, I mean, I'm an Enneagram four, so sadness and (laughs) um, the beauty of it and all that, but it's about, you know, being um, uprooted from your traditions Mm. and your home and what is stable and known to you and being forced to encounter a world that's rapidly changing Mm -hmm. and um, being forced to leave and sort of the things that you thought you could depend on sort of losing some of their stability. And so, and really what's important to you as a family. Yeah. As you said, tradition, like that's in my head now tradition. Yeah. Um, My first memory of musicals that I watched, we had one of those like minivans. Mm Mm-hmm. But we thought we were hot stuff because it had a VCR in it. What? So I, I didn't even know they had them with VCRs before DVD players 80s. came out. This is in you the were 80s. hot stuff. Hot stuff. And so we had family at the time. We were living in Georgia, but my dad's family was in Texas. So anytime okay. that we would, ta- well, and my grandparents too were in Alabama. So anytime we're traveling, yeah. you know, they just put me in the back with a video but all we had when I was a kid was like the music man yeah or Oklahoma yep that's so good musical yes. solidarity musical <laughs> solidarity I love them a few years ago I got to spend a little time in New York City mm. cat sitting randomly for like an old high school friend put up on Facebook like hey I'm gonna be 
gone for two weeks over the holidays. Who wants to have a free apartment in the Upper East Side of Manhattan? Um, me. Yeah. Hi. Uh, so, <laughs> that awesome. Yeah. So I got to um, see Fiddler on the Roof and <gasps> Les Miserables on Broadway, which oh, was awesome. awesome. Yeah. And I'm kicking myself because it was when Hamilton was like off Broadway before everybody knew oh about gosh. it. And like now... I mean, I mean, how could you have known though? There's no way. I, I was not that into like right. You were like on the musical beat, yeah. Right, and I didn't live there. I yeah. lived in Atlanta at the time, so I was, yeah, not. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, I I, I haven't seen it yet, and I want to so Same. bad. Um, most of my let's see, I have I have six siblings. Most of my siblings played an instrument. Um, all my brothers at one point or another played guitar. I played mm-hmm. guitar. I I don't think I knew that. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, do you I was, still play? Um, occasionally. Yeah. Uh, I had an accident a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I got hit by an SUV when I was out on a run. Interestingly enough, the day before I had tickets to see you too. Oh my gosh. Um, I still went, even though I should not have, I still went. I was drugged and very swollen. Um, but I still went and, uh, yeah. So I have some like back and nerve problems and stuff. So it's kind of difficult to play, Mm -hmm. um, guitar, but my siblings played and I grew up, I took like nine years of voice lessons and choir. And so like music was just always a part of my life. Mm -hmm. I honestly thought I was going to do music for a living. Mm -hmm. I thought I would be, a singer songwriter. Um, I, you know, wrote a lot of poetry. I've always been a writer, which is, you know, now I realize was my truest love, but I, you know, tried to write songs and they had terrible melodies and they're really quite embarrassing. But, um, (laughs) I did that you a gotta lot. Start somewhere. You gotta start somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wouldn't really like let most of those out to play now, but yeah. So a lot of, lot of music, um, all the time. And it was always something I think that for me as an Enneagram for, as mm-hmm. someone who lives with a lot of very, very big feelings and mm-hmm. also someone who's lived with mental health issues, the majority of my life, Music was always a safe place and something that helped me kind of put things into words or connect with things that were deeper than words. Yep. Um, and kind of express some longings and some pain that I didn't know how to express mm-hmm. um, because it took me a long time to realize that this thing that was eating me up from the inside was called depression and anxiety and that being in some traumatic circumstances leaves you with um, some after effects and that those are not just like character flaws and things like that. I just thought there was something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of times um, music was the thing I think that kept me going Mm -hmm. um, and that I found some solace in Mm -hmm. and in some ways found some hope in when I really felt pretty hopeless Mm. for the most part. Um, And eventually in my high school years, I eventually wound up becoming a Christian. I was raised um, by parents who would consider themselves Christians, but I didn't really have a faith of my own Mm -hmm. until 
high school. And I actually had an experience that really, really centered around music. I was invited to this youth group um, that was on like a Friday night and I was supposed to be like going and partying and I was like, whatever, I'll come. There wasn't like a message that anybody preached that night or anything. They just did like praise and worship music. Sure. And um, they sang the song. It's so old. Better is one day. Oh, Better yeah. is one day in your courts. Yep. Better is one day in your house than thousands mm-hmm. elsewhere. And something in that just like grabbed my heart and was just like, oh, there's there's a place like that. Like, mm. and I just felt something like I would call that the presence of God. But I just, for the first time, I felt something that I was like, oh, I want that. Mm. And that kind of, you know, shifted the direction in my music. And I was still very much listening to like um, all of that, like Motown and stuff from the 60s, but kind of shifted the trajectory to where I was really involved in my church and on the worship team mm-hmm. and um, kind of opened up a little bit of a different world to me sure. in a lot of ways. Yeah. I am reminded of a recent podcast I listened to. You and I both go to Crosspoint, which is how we met. They have a podcast called the Anything is Possible yeah. podcast. And they were just interviewing Mike and Cheryl, the worship leaders. What Cheryl said she came on and she was talking about the posture of worship. Now, when I hear that, I think about emotional posture, yeah. like where your heart should be. She was talking about physical posture oh, too. Okay. I mean, in, in addition to that, yeah. what really got me was when she was talking about worship and I think it works in any type of singing, physical singing here. She said, I know it doesn't make everybody comfortable to sing and that's okay, but For those people that don't sing, it's important for the people who want to sing to sing because you're actually singing over these other people and encouraging them and bolstering their faith. And I'm specifically remembering, I guess, back to the summer, I ended up coming to the one o'clock service and I ran into you and your husband, Mm -hmm. Micah. Um, A friend of mine had just passed unexpectedly and there was some stuff, some other stuff happening. Man, My heart was just on the floor. Yeah. And I remember just sitting there in the chair and just kind of feeling, feeling it. I'm going to be in my feelings, but you physically were standing up and you were singing over me. So that's what, well, I mean, your friendship and, and really, even though we don't know each other that well, I mean, I feel like we do know each other, but like, yeah, that well, because we've only known each other for a a year. year. Yeah. It's not like your friend you've known for 20 years. Right. These are some deep connections here, and I'm eternally grateful. Anyway, I told you. Feelings. (laughs) Feelings. (laughs) Enneagram three and Enneagram four. Yep. We're here for it. I think that is so powerful, though. Not like, oh, I'm so powerful or anything. But I attribute it to the gift of music. Yeah, it is. And I think that there is something so powerful about when somebody has gone through really difficult times or is going through a really difficult time mm-hmm. um, and they are in whatever way singing through it, or they're able to connect with a song that comes out of that place. Like mm-hmm. that's, there's so much strength and power and 
um, character that comes out of that, whether it's, you know, being in a place of loss or a place of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's just such a, a beautiful thing, not just to be able to be like, I've been through hard times too. And like, I can sing now, but like, even in the midst of it to just like you to just show up and I'm not okay right this second, but I'm here, but I'm here and I'm still showing up and I'm, I'm going to get through this one way or another. And you know, there'll be a new normal and it might look different, but, Mm -hmm. um, I'm showing up and I'm still, still walking and still moving. I was watching TV the other day. Jason's a big TV watcher and he loves Stephen Colbert. Uh, I'm not super familiar with his story, but I believe there was something he was walking through where there was an accident, something that happened, and he was being interviewed for another show. And and actually, it was Anderson Cooper. And Anderson oh, wow. Cooper said, is it true that you believe that it was something to the effect of, um, you know, this time kind of walking in this dark space there's a gift to that. What Stephen Colbert said was like, yeah, I did say that because life in itself is a, is a gift yeah. and just living is a gift. And so even though these, these hard times are happening and they're inevitable, I mean, right. everybody's going to walk through something. And I'm also reminded that uh, life has a variety of ups and downs mm-hmm. and that is the fullness of life. You're going to have, you're going to have bad times. You're going to have good times. Depression is lack of feeling. I want you to talk a a little bit about your writing and what is it about this topic in general of mental health? How did that draw you in in the first place? Totally. I think what you're saying is so true about like that lack of feeling. Like depression can be a lot of things and it is, you know, an actual illness and it comes with physical symptoms and mental Mm -hmm. symptoms and emotional symptoms. But one of the things that it comes with is this crushing numbness. And it's like the whole world just turns gray and you're in the middle of a fog and it's like you can't care about anything. It felt for me, it felt like a tunnel yeah. that I couldn't bring myself out of. Yeah. No matter how hard I wanted to, yeah. I just couldn't climb my way out of the hole. Yeah. And it's like sometimes the sadness and the anger and the hurt is better than that mm. tunnel and that pit and that dark place because you're feeling things and you know you're alive. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, you know, growing up with a lot of struggles with depression, I didn't really know there was another way to be. I just knew this was how I was. Mm. And I thought coming into the church and becoming a Christian, um, there were a lot of really amazing things that happened with it. And then also, you know, this was almost 20 years ago. The church really wasn't talking about mental health then. Um, are they really now? I mean, it's, I know they're getting yeah, more we're into starting it, but to, it's still at the very beginning. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty early still. Mm-hmm. Um, but it like it was not a thing then. Mm-hmm. And so I was struggling and um I dealt with self-harm. I was suicidal. Mm-hmm. I was in sort of a um, you might call it like a name it and claim it church, like the kind of church that believed like you say good things because if you say bad things, you're cursing yourself. Like mm. words have power. Mm-hmm. Like if you're not getting healed, it's because of a lack of faith, not because like Jesus in the Bible didn't heal people all the time. Like even the story of the healing at the pool of Bethesda, um, Jesus 
walks through what the Bible says, crowds of people who've been sick for many, many years and are crippled. And he literally would have been stepping over people Mm. to get to this one guy he heals and then he leaves. And there are dozens, if not hundreds of people surrounding him that Jesus didn't heal in that moment because that wasn't what his mission was. God sent him to seek and save that which is lost, not to heal every sick person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in a lot of ways, my church in in that time had some imbalanced and unhealthy theology um, around suffering and pain and mental health issues. And so... I sort of fell prey to that. And Mm. so I thought that there was something really, really wrong with me because I couldn't just be joyful and grateful. I couldn't just choose joy, like everybody said, Mm -hmm. and feel happy all the time because I'm a Christian and Jesus saved me. Um, I still like did all of the things I prayed. I read my Bible. I led worship. I eventually became a youth pastor and I still struggled with cutting and wanted to die. Mm. And it took a lot of years for me to find the things I needed to get help. I tried to go to counseling a few times and actually wound up having five negative experiences before I had one positive experience in counseling. Um, I commend you that you've you've kept going because that feels uh, certainly not hopeful at that point. Yeah. And largely the issue was that I didn't know, but a lot of the people who were being recommended to me weren't actually really licensed therapists. Okay. They were like, I'm doing air quotes, like Mm -hmm. biblical counselors or Christian counselors, Mm -hmm. which are lay people who are not trained whatsoever in mental illness or psychology. It's sort of this belief that the Bible should be enough Mm -hmm. um, to fix mental illness. And it's actually really dangerous and really damaging because we don't believe that the Bible's enough to fix diabetes. We don't believe the Bible's enough to fix cancer, except for, you know, certain sects of Mm. Christianity don't believe in medicine. And mental illness is as much a physical illness as those things. Right. So it wasn't until I met a leader years later who looked me in the eye and said, honey, you deal with depression and you need to take care of yourself that I started like really accepting like, oh, this is a sickness I have. This is a chronic illness. Mm -hmm. I need to treat it like one. Mm -hmm. And through that time, you know, sort of parallel to this struggle that was running, you know, throughout my life, I always had this desire just to make someone else's path a little easier than mine. And that's always just been there. I was writing the whole time. And in my youth ministry, there was a young woman, a high school student who um, was in and out of psychiatric hospitals for suicide attempts. So Mm. some days I would be the person that she used her 15 minute phone call to call um, because she knew I understood because I, I had shared with her when I found out she was struggling, I Mm. shared like, yes, I've struggled with self-harm. I've struggled with being suicidal. Yeah. So just over time, those things kind of started to coalesce. And as I, I began to see the way it helped me when someone else was honest with their struggles. Mm -hmm. And I began to see the difference it make when made when I was open about my struggles. I started four or five years ago. I, started a blog 
It's called Beautiful Between. And the idea was um, just how do we live fully in the now and the not yet? I loved when I first saw that. I knew, I mean, I was like, I've got to ask her to be on this podcast because um, in September I went to the story conference and their theme was liminal space. And it was like, I'm using some of their terminology actually, or Brad Montague's, he calls it the messy metal, that liminal space of life between the no longer and the not yet. Yeah. And when I saw that on your blog, I was like, ah, she gets it. (laughs) You know, like this is, this is what it's all about because, you know, we're all walking through something at some point and we don't really know what to call that. We don't know yes. um, the words to put around that, but we're all, we all get it when we, when we yeah. do start describing that, we're like, oh yeah, we, you know, yeah. we've been there. We're all in that state of becoming. Mm-hmm. We're always, there's always something more, you know, you come to a place and even like recently I've experienced like some dreams being fulfilled mm-hmm. and I haven't arrived. Like mm-hmm. I can show up there and still not be like, this is it. This is everything. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that even exists, right? We can set goals for ourselves and say, at this point, that will be enough. Or at this point, like this is the, this is the goal. Yeah. But then when we get there, that shifts. I get what you're saying. Like in, in this phase of life, there is a dream. Yeah. And that point is coming. I'm I'm talking with my hands, but (laughs) that point is coming. That marker there will move. Yeah. Well, ultimately that's, you know, I don't think we ever get fully satisfied. I think we can come to a place of contentment and learning how to cultivate joy, even Mm -hmm. in our darkest and our hardest seasons. And that's been what a lot of my life has been about these past, probably I'd say 10 years or so. And that's a lot of what I write about is like, I still to this day deal with depression. I will until the day I die short of a miracle. God mm-hmm. can do whatever he wants. Right. Um, but I don't ask why anymore. I don't think that there's something wrong if God doesn't heal me. Like in Ecclesiastes, it says time and chance happens to everybody. Mm-hmm. We're just, we're in a broken and sick world and and circumstances happen. And so instead of like, I'm going to get to this place where I've arrived and I'm there and everything's perfect. It's a constant state of becoming and a constant state of nothing in this world can fully satisfy. I'm Mm -hmm. thinking of that old C.S. Lewis quote. If I find in myself a desire, nothing in this world can satisfy. I can only conclude that I was not made for here. There's a, there's something else. I love the way that you put that in a constant state of becoming. We're constantly growing yeah. and learning and, and it's evolving. Not bad. No, it's a good place to be, but it's yeah. also a really good thing to understand. It is, I think, because for a long time, especially having that church background that I had, there is this idea that like the Bible says we go from glory to glory and strength mm-hmm. to strength and all of this stuff. But that sort of theology overlooks the broad arc of scripture that shows Jesus as like a suffering servant. And Mm -hmm. it says that we connect with him through the fellowship of his sufferings, that there's through suffering, some sort of community we have with Christ that we can't access any other way. And if we're perfect and we've arrived and everything's and everything's great great then how interesting we can't fully connect with him i've never thought about that 
I think to go yeah. back to what you were saying about Stephen Colbert, that is one of the gifts of the dark places. Someone once told me that you can never know the comforter unless you've been comforted. Mm-hmm. You can never know the healer unless you've been healed. Um, you can never know Jesus as the shepherd unless you're a wayward sheep that wanders off different places. And so there's this really rich and beautiful thing that happens in the darkness. You know, I wouldn't wish on anybody. I'm not saying like God wants us to suffer and deal with bad things, but I am saying that he is super, super faithful and he always meets us there. And knowing God like that and having a certainty in your heart, not that you can prove anything or like creation or evolution or like, was there a literal six day creation? Like none of that matters when, like Paul said, I know him whom I've believed. Mm -hmm. I know him and I know he's there in the dark and nothing can shake that certainty in my soul. And that's where the song comes from. I think it takes more faith to walk through the darkness when he's not healing and learn that he's good, then it would, you know, people say like, oh, you don't have enough faith for God to heal you. I think it takes less faith to just be healed and everything's perfect. And it's all, you know, Kit Kats and dandelions Mm -hmm. versus walking through something really difficult and hard for a long period of time, like grief or loss Mm -hmm. or chronic illness or disease. I was just thinking, I also, well, let me back up. So I also, you recommended the book by Rachel Held Evans Inspired. Yeah, so So good. I'm glad I read it. And I was talking with another friend of mine the other day. She gave me a book and I'm going to butcher this name, but it's, her first name is Nadia. Nadia Bowles-Weber. That's it. Yeah. I knew you would know. She doesn't necessarily believe what I believe, but this was presented in a way to her where she felt like she could comprehend it, understand it, stomach it. Yeah. Like I can stomach than, that Jesus. Right. Yeah. So, and we, and we haven't, I haven't opened it, hadn't read it, but I did flip through it and I was like, Hey, I know all of these authors that have endorsed, endorsed it. it. Yeah. Rachel Held Evans was one and it talked about inspired. So I read that from your recommendation and I told my friend that I was glad that I read it because it challenged me and there's a lot in there. And I think the stuff that she was wrestling with are things that I wrestle with. Um, so, and this is my point here. Yeah. When it comes to theology, I mean, there are certainly questions that I have. Mm-hmm. There are certain things about the Bible that I wrestle with because it doesn't like package up nicely with a little mm-hmm. bow for me. But what I know to be true is after these dark experiences, like you're talking about, I know redemption and transformation that happened in my life. And I know an intense loving kindness. Yeah. And I can't, because it was so personal and because it is part of my story now, I cannot deny that. Right. So I get what you're saying when you're saying, you know, these technicalities, these things that people argue about the seven day creation and whatever else, none of that matters. And I, I wholeheartedly get that. I will probably be wrestling with, the details of this, maybe my whole life and yeah. what, whatever. I mean, we're, we're not going to know for sure. hundred percent. Right. Some of these things, maybe most of these things, but I can't deny what happened. Right. And I know that to be true, like right. in my bones. It's so good. I think to be able to embrace the uncertainty in our Western culture, we've been taught over the past, 
you know, several hundred years and particularly over the last 100, 120 years, that to not be certain is to not have faith. Mm. And that's not true. Um, there's things that we in like the American evangelical and fundamental church hold as necessities mm-hmm. to be a Christian that, you know, 500 years ago, they would not have considered that way. And we think we have to have answers. Um, but to borrow from C.S. Lewis again, because I love me some C.S. Lewis. <laughs> as well, you should. Yeah. <laughs> My absolute favorite book of his is um, his last book. It's called Till We Have Faces. Mm-hmm. I and, haven't read this. Oh my gosh. It is beautiful. And the majority of the book, you're like, what is, what? Like, this is kind of like depressing and kind of annoying. And like the narrators don't really like them. And then there's this shift that happens and you're like, oh my gosh. But um, there's this line in it where um, she says, I know now, Lord, why you offer no answer. And she's asked all these questions and she's made all these accusations against the gods. It's a retelling of an ancient Greek myth. So mm-hmm. the Lord she's talking to is, you know, like a Greek God, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, an allegory too. Mm-hmm. Um, she says, I know now, Lord, why you offer no answer. You yourself are the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this moment where like none of her questions matter anymore. And she sees what she's wanted to see the whole time. And she thought it would tell her one thing and it tells her something completely different. And she realizes all of those questions fade away. It's like that old hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full on his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I think we just are so apt to forget that and so apt to focus on confining things into our small understanding and our small imaginations and we forget that what matters the most is that there's a God who put on skin and bones to come be close to us. And he doesn't leave and he doesn't lie and he's not going to bail on us and he's not going to abandon us in our darkest places. That's the good news. Yeah, yeah. that's way better than yeah. like, you get to go to heaven when you die. <laughs> you know, like fire insurance faith, which like being with Jesus forever is incredible and amazing. I'm not diminishing that at all, but. I think we miss out on like the goodness of the gospel. Yeah. I guess all of that to say that's, that's what I've found in the darkness that is a part of my life. It's easy to say all this stuff and for it to sound like I'm really good. Like I was telling you over lunch, like a couple weeks ago, I had a really bad mental health week, but I knew what to do in the midst of it. So that's actually a pretty good segue while we are recording this and even when it airs, we're still going to be in these winter months. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people, even if they're not calling it depression or they're not diagnosed as a depressive, what do you even call that disorder? They experience seasonal blues, the winter blues. And I think, I mean, I know that weather certainly affects me. (laughs) If it's going to be, if it's raining for two months straight, this is why I do not live in the Pacific Northwest. I live in the South. Yeah. Um, What would you tell someone who may be going through this? What are some tips that you could give them? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we all have our mood affected. Like if the sun isn't out, 
lacking for that vitamin a while. D. Yeah, lacking that vitamin <laughs> yeah. D. But if it is, you know, if every year in like the winter months, you mm-hmm. feel some of those things that we were talking about earlier, like that's worth talking to your doctor because mm-hmm. there is actually something called seasonal affective disorder, SAD, um, <laughs> which is funny, but whatever. And it is a form of depression. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people um, do get that. And there are treatments available. One of the things is um, I have one of these. You can get them on Amazon. They have special little light boxes. I've heard of this. Yeah. So it's super bright. It's like obnoxiously bright. But I do, especially on days where it's cloudy out, I sit with that sucker for like 20 minutes in the morning while I'm doing my quiet time. And I really do think it helps. This is not fun, but I will say it anyway, because it has made such a big difference for me. Um, I never thought I would be the person who's like, change your diet, change your Mm. diet, because I love me some white bread and sugar. Uh, I feel you. And you're talking to somebody who has done a deep dive into uh, disordered eating. And um, there's a whole slew of things that we could talk about, but it's true. I did a, a study on intuitive eating. Yeah. And it, that's, that's all it is. It's listening. It's slowing down. Yeah. One of the things that I'm learning, and this is one of the patterns that has been popping up for me, um, probably the end, the last three months. And I feel like it's setting the tone already for 2020. Slow down, mm-hmm. be intentional. Yep. And that includes with what I'm eating. Yes. That includes paying attention, paying attention to how I'm feeling, not numbing things with, um, food or drink. Yes. Um, and then paying attention to what my body likes and what it doesn't like, just because I love me some white bread. I'm with you. My tummy does. It doesn't mean my mood does. Yeah. And it doesn't, it's not even like the way that my body is reacting physically. Mm -hmm. It's how it is even processing it. Totally. For the next, like if I keep eating white bread, what is that doing for future Amanda? Right. Um, or sugar, or <laughs> whatever else. And I know it's different from, for other people. I have a friend that can't eat corn. I have, uh, my sister-in-law can't eat eggs. Yeah. It's just, it's not about weight. Yeah. A year and a half ago, I did a, a trial month of modified paleo. And I was like, whatever, I can do this for a month. I'm going to go back to eating all of my delicious food. And um, I was shocked at how different I stopped having panic attacks like I was having panic attacks several times for a from week sugar from sugar yeah that's wild yeah I I have not had a full it's been a year and a half I think I've had one full-blown panic attack since then and I was having them like multiple times a week amazing um I still get anxious and stuff and um just my mood's been better I've had fewer headaches just everything has been better so Um, I would say just, you know, looking at your diet, like, are the things that you're eating supporting your mood or are they like they may help you feel better like in the moment, but are they over time, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. causing more problems? Yeah. I mean, we talked about over lunch, we talked about emotional eating. Yeah. I mean, especially in the middle of like November was really stressful for us professionally, just coming into the holidays and making sure that we had met all our deadlines and blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's easy to numb your feelings. You know, if you're not real, if you're not willing to sit with them and end them, how are you addressing what you really need? Yeah. 
So a couple other things that really help me, I I try to stay pretty consistent with some scheduled things, which is difficult working for yourself and sure. working from home. But I try to be consistent with um, some quiet time that involves some journaling. Um, I actually do more of like a contemplative prayer meditation kind of thing than like your traditional like praying out loud thing, because that's been shown to reduce anxiety, reduce depression. I was just reading your brain. Yeah. So after we read, you and I did a study on um, the road back to you on the Enneagram. And then after I finished that book, I wanted to dive a little bit deeper. And so I read um, uh, the sacred Enneagram. Christopher Hewitt's. That sounds familiar. But he, that was the very first time that I had heard about that. I mean, I think. Yeah, like all the benefits of meditation and contemplative prayer. Contemplative prayer and and meditative prayer. And I, that was the first time that I had ever heard that term or um, thought about it. And it sounds like super woo-woo or whatever. Well, when I first read it, I was like, ooh, what is all this about? But I really started thinking about it and I'm like, okay, I can see how if this is a very personal thing, you know, if we look at at faith or prayer, like even having a relationship with God, that's personal. Right. And so why wouldn't your, the way that you're communicating with him be personal? Something that I think is really, really important for everybody, especially if you're struggling with like seasonal depression or just in a funk or whatever. I mentioned, I don't think you can just choose joy, but I do think you can cultivate it. Mm -hmm. And what I mean is that, Joy is an emotion. It's a natural response to a stimulus, to a circumstance. People want to say it's not an emotion. That's not true. We like to redefine things when we're Christians. Um, But even if you look in the Bible, the word joy is linked to happiness, gladness. It's a feeling. So what you can do, you can't just choose your feelings. You can't be like, I'm going to be mad now. I'm going to be happy. Um, What you can do is you can create the stimulus that'll lead to that feeling. Mm -hmm. So if you want to get angry, you can think about someone cutting you off or something someone did to hurt you. And if you think about that long enough, you will get angry. You're not like just flipping a switch and saying, I'm going to be angry. You're creating that anger. Mm -hmm. You can do that with joy. And some of the ways that I think are really simple and practical and work really well to do that are Um, through a gratitude practice, which, you know, we hear all the time, have an attitude of gratitude, but keeping track of the tiny, beautiful things in life is such a key way of finding hope, finding strength, finding Mm. peace in your day-to-day. So if somebody is listening and thinking, that sounds like me, if I'm already doing these things, but I need an unbiased third party, where do I even look for somebody like that? There's a few ways you can go about finding some really good help. You can start talking to your family doctor. Um, A lot of times, you know, they'll be able to help you figure out, like, is this something that I might need to talk to somebody about? Is this something I might need some medication for? Mm -hmm. They may find out that you just have a vitamin D deficiency or a vitamin B12 deficiency or a thyroid issue. And it may be as simple as that. So you should always, you know, if you're doing the things that you know to do and it's not helping, always talk to your doctor. 
If they can't help, run, they run some tests. You can get a referral to a psychiatrist. It sounds scarier than it is. That's just a doctor who specializes in um, the brain and brain chemicals mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, to find a counselor, honestly, the best thing to do to find a good counselor is to ask around. You would be shocked how many of your friends and maybe even family members see counselors. Oh my gosh. So many. Once you say like, oh, I'm going to my counselor. They're like, oh my gosh, do you like them? I like mine. And what I have noticed now is, well, and this may be the circle of friends that I run in, but there's no stigma Mm -mm. attached to it. I think that, um, I don't want to even say this, but I'm going to like, it almost feels popular in some ways, I'll I don't get it. Well, I, you know, it's, yeah. it's better than the alternative. It's not like it's trendy, but it's like, I'm glad to see, accepted. I'm glad to see so many of my friends stepping up to be like, this is a healthy choice for me. So healthy. Yeah. Aside from asking around for recommendations, um, psychology today has a really good, um, therapist finder and you can search your area. You can search for, um, certain specialties. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've been through something super traumatic, uh, like some abuse or um, war or mm. like a natural disaster, you can look for someone who is trauma informed or if you'd prefer a male or a female or you'd prefer someone who has similar belief systems. You can filter for all of those things. My personal rule is I will give a counselor up to three sessions. If I don't feel safe and connected-ish to Mm -hmm. them within that time, I will find someone else. I was listening to Andy Down's podcast. We talked about this, actually. Like the the, Tell me again, the guy who she was talking to, the author of Come Clean. Uh, Seth Haynes. Yes. So they were talking about addiction and some things today. She has also mentioned in the past, she's like, you know what? At some point, you have to remind yourself... I'm a grown adult. Mm-hmm. And if I do not feel comfortable in a situation, I can leave. Yep. And I do not, there's nothing telling me that I have to stay here regardless of the situation. But I think it goes to, to your point about if, if you don't feel like this situation is serving you yeah. with a specific counselor and, and that's okay. Find a different one. Find a different one. So I'm going to go to our last question. Okay. This has been really interesting because I think this conversation is important. For one, I knew you were the person for the job, (laughs) Um, but it wasn't dealing with as much literal music Mm -hmm. as some of the other conversations, which I am all for. The part about the metaphorical singing and how to how other people do that, how they deal with with life, the heaviness of life yeah. and the, the things that they're going through, um, how they quote sing is, uh, feels really important to me. So yeah. thank you for sharing your thoughts and time. But the last question that I'm asking, because the show is called starting with a song, what's your signature song? Gosh, I was thinking about this and this is so hard for me because I love music so much. I feel like Anytime you ask me, it would be a different thing, a different song. I think that's going to be a common theme with everybody. Really? Yeah. Jeff, our friend said it changes with the weather. Yeah. He's like, I'm, I'm going to pick something different. It really just depends on my mood and where I'm at. And maybe like it marks times, marks seasons of your life. Yeah. With the songs that really, you know, you attach yourself to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you can just pick one. We won't yeah, let you do it. <laughs> well, that being said, um, one song that I was thinking of in 
the context of this conversation and mm-hmm. thinking of in times where I was really struggling, um, it's being an Enneagram four, it's going to be obscure. <laughs> it's called Closer by John Mark McMillan. Okay. And for those of you who don't know John Mark McMillan, he wrote How He Loves, the original version, with a verse that you don't know probably um, about his best friend that died. And that whole album, it's called The Song Inside the Sounds of Breaking Down. Mm, um, man, that's pretty. Yeah. The songs inside the sounds of breaking down. Yeah, the song inside wow. the sounds of breaking down. And that's where How He Loves comes from okay. originally. And that song, the verse, the extra verse that nobody sings, um, it goes, I thought about you the day Stephen died and you met me between my breaking. I know that I still love you, God, despite the agony. And he's just like ugly crying. Like mm. in this, you can barely understand what he's saying. And he says some people... They want to tell me you're cruel, but if Stephen could sing, he'd say it's not true because you're good because you love us. Oh, how he loves us. Yeah. So that whole album is just really raw and dealing with, it's sort of like um, a young person coming to terms with a really messy faith. Mm. And um, that song Closer is, it's just asking God, like, would you come closer to me? Because I need more than a fairy tale. I need more than philosophy. Some God in outer space doesn't mean anything to me. And the end of the song, the reason it's one of my favorites is um, because he kind of like screams at the end. And it's this line from the Gospels where there's a blind man who wants Jesus to heal him. John Mark McMillan kind of screams out, son of David, don't pass me by Mm. because I'm naked, I'm poor, and I'm blind. That'll be it for today. Closer by John Mark McMillan. That's a great answer. There you go. Oh, man. You know, one of the things that I learned, culture tells us to value what people think of you. And for me, that meant holding people at arm's length Mm -hmm. because if they got any closer, they would see who I really am, what I really think. Yep. But if I can hold them at arm's length... I can show them anybody that I want to show them. Yeah. And I can shapeshift anytime I walk into a room. Yeah. What I'm learning is vulnerability is so countercultural, but man, there's so much richness in that. By being vulnerable, you just, you get to know people. People coming close to you, it's, it feels scary. It's so much better. And you find the gifts, like I think about you being vulnerable with me and then creating a space in our friendship that I can reciprocate. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. I don't know how to end this. This is so fun. How do we wrap it? We don't. (laughs) We're just going to keep going. We're just going to keep talking. I just love Sarah's heart and her genuine desire to help those who are hurting. If you want to hear more from her, her website is beautifulbetween.com. And you can follow her at facebook.com slash Sarah, that's Sarah with an H, Sarah J. Robinson Writer. Thanks again for spending some time with us today. You make today better. If you liked what you heard, you can connect with me on Instagram at Artistic Amanda. And you can also subscribe to Starting With a Song on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. I think that's it for me today, friends. We'll see you back here in two weeks on March 4th.